in life, the toolkit is never complete because there's always an opportunity to learn new things. And so that, that fundamental um, belief and purpose continues to this day where Van City looks at its, and we don't actually call them customers. And that is what is coming up on Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. So stay tuned. Now, here are two powerful words to change your life. What if? What if you do have what it takes? What if you can design your life? What if your crazy dreams do come true? You are here because you have a dream. You have a fire in your belly. You want to change the world and you want to lead the charge in the post-socially distant era. The big question is this, how can ambitious people like us build our dream lives? This podcast gives you the answers. We have created the perfect community of the world's best minds who want to get things done, survive and thrive in this uncertain world. Join us by navigating to bootstrapping.group. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams Show. I'm your host, Manu Jagarwal, and today we have a very special guest, Canton Lowe. So Canton is currently the CMO at Vancity. Vancity is one of the largest community credit unions in Canada and one of the top rated with an estimated uh, uh, $27.4 billion in assets, uh, plus assets under administration. Uh, uh, Vancity uses its assets to help improve the financial well-being of its members while at the same time helping to develop healthy communities that are socially, economically, and environmentally sustainable. Kenton is a hands-on senior executive with a record of success, driving top and bottom line growth in domestic and global companies, ranging from entrepreneurial ventures to two of the Fortune 50 uh, most admired companies in the world. He specializes in customer experience, brand management, strategic planning, new business market development, sales, marketing alignment, and digital marketing. He has a collaborative leadership style with a focus on building high-performance, multidisciplinary teams in multi-stakeholder environments. Outside of Vancity, Kenton dedicates time to community organizations, developing next generation of business leaders. He's a director of United Way of the Lower Mainland and previously volunteered as a director for Junior Achievement, the HR Macmillan Space Center, and the Los Angeles Regional Food Bank. He has addressed conferences in Europe, Canada, US, and has taught courses in strategic planning, marketing, customer experience at corporate training programs and universities, including 12 years as an adjunct professor at UBC's Sauder School of Business. Welcome, Kenton. We are so glad to have you. Well, thank you very much, Manoj. Uh, like, it's an honor to be invited to participate in your, your podcast. Awesome. You do an amazing job with all oh, your podcasts. Thank you so much. Much, much appreciated. Um, uh, now, uh, before we dive into the interview, I'd love to know about your journey. You have a fascinating uh, story. So can we start there? How did you got, uh, get started and uh, how was your journey like? Well, uh, my journey actually begins here in, in Vancouver, where I'm, I'm based right now. I was actually born and raised here. And I would say that my journey was probably uh, like uh, influenced by my childhood. And uh, I was thinking about this and I would say that my, my, my childhood was, this sounds pretty boring. My childhood was basically spent in my backyard. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and basically, it, it my mother would refer to it as, okay, he's out in the backyard letting his imagination run wild. <laughs> and so uh, it, to me, it was all about like wonder and curiosity. Uh, for me, um, like even something as simple as like a cardboard box in the backyard became like a rocket ship. I see. And so those are the things that were going on. I even, I even recall that uh, I created, even back in those days when I was only eight or nine years old, like themed experiences in my backyard. I once had held an entire day where I invited all the kids in the neighborhood, come on over to experience Kenton's theme park, oh. where they could come over and see um, uh, like, simple things like a magnifying glass and watch how a worm moves. Yeah. I had like science experiments sessions and um and it was just like a, a lot of fun having uh the neighborhood uh show up and have like a lot of fun so so whether it was after school or like during the summers uh-huh. i spent like a lot of time in my backyard and i think that that gave me a foundation of this like wonder and curiosity that then has carried through to my uh my entire life and That's you know nice. that journey has continued on uh like growing up here in Vancouver and moving to the United States for school and then like working in California for 25 years and now coming full circle back to my hometown. That's amazing. So it seems like you, uh, from early childhood, you had a knack for like new inventions, new, new discoveries and also community. Uh, cause, uh, seems like you were involved in, in the neighborhood, uh, uh development of the, of the neighborhood kids, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know where all my neighbors are nowadays, but, but it, it was it was fun because I thought for some reason, I guess, even at that young age, I thought yeah, I'm going to invite all the kids over and I'm going to teach them some science. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so uh, as I mentioned earlier in the intro, like uh, it, you have had a very fascinating journey. You went from industry to industry like uh, most people, they stick around and they just get comfortable in one particular industry. But uh, you, on the other hand, uh, seem to be a risk taker. You go from uh, uh, you know one industry to another. So can you share with us what was that experience like? What are the various industries you have worked in? And um, how did you find that transition? To me, the, the, the transitions occurred because I'm, I'm interested in a lot of things. And so literally uh, transitioning from industry to industry was actually not that difficult because I had learned early on in my career from some, uh, some mentors is said, be the very best at something. Whatever you choose to be the best at, just go for it and, and, and strive for excellence. And so my foundational skill is marketing. I mean, I've done different things in my career, but marketing is my foundational skill. And so transitioning from industry to industry is because, as I said earlier, I enjoy like learning new things. And by being the very best, or one of the very best in my area of expertise, the, the recruiters, they came and they, like, even if I didn't know what the industry was, he said, we're not hire- the company isn't going to hire you for your industry expertise. You can learn that. What they're hiring you for is your marketing expertise. Uh-huh. So then basically the experience of doing that was, uh, is exhilarating. It's like it's mind expanding. Yeah. And it's like challenging from both a people standpoint and a work standpoint as well too. Because whenever I am asked to like go to new companies, I'm usually brought in to help take the company to the next level by developing a high performance and engaged team. And so, because my whole life has been about making a difference in guiding and mentoring 
people, uh, I did that by going into all these different organizations and, and just elevating the, the, the capabilities. So um, that's from like a people standpoint. But from a work standpoint, uh, like any industry will fascinate me. Uh, and when I go to a new industry, I go all in. So, you know, I started early in my career in like the food industry and to really become immersed in the food industry, I took an, an, an entire one-year program to earn like a professional chef's certificate, wow. uh, basically, because uh, that would help me better understand how to develop food yeah. and food experiences. When then I moved into like the entertainment industry, I read every book I could and went out there and visited every type of entertainment experience I could like find so that I would better understand how to develop amazing entertainment experiences. And just before I came to Van City, I worked it for Matree, which is North America's largest molding and millwork company. I'd never worked in the, the world of interior doors and moldings before, but to better understand that, I took an interior design course because wow. I wanted to learn how to create beautiful interior spaces. Uh-huh. So I've jumped from different industries uh, because of interests and but because recruiters put these on my radar screen and I thought, wow, these are pretty cool. So it, it's been fun. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. Uh, so it seems like uh, you have this uh, you know innate uh, curiosity that uh, that you really want to understand uh, the world around you, no matter what field it is in, and um, you you couple that with your foundational uh, knowledge of of your core skill, which is marketing. Yes, the uh, like I look at I look at my life as like a toolkit uh, that that where you immerse different skills to fill your toolkit. And to me, in life, the toolkit is never complete because there's always an opportunity to learn new things. Uh, and 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 when I go into new industries, new companies organizations, uh, I can pretty much open up the toolkit and pull things out that will either directly help me to be able to solve problems or identify opportunities, or I can take what's in the toolkit and triangulate yeah. a great solution. So that's, yes, no, I like, I just find that fascinating. That's amazing. Uh, it seems like that's an unfair advantage you, you have uh, as you move <laughs> from industry to industry. I mean, I'm saying that because I have had similar experiences like, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, when you go into different industries, you can pick up solutions from uh, other industries and implement it in a new industry, right? Yeah, and, and uh, I think about a number of companies that I've been at, and like the CEO would say, I didn't hire you for the industry experience. I hired you because of the other industries that you've worked in. And a, a, a phrase that has sort of become synonymous with me when I go into organization is, oh, Kenton, he's the guy that's always asking, what if? <laughs> and he starts his sentences. Like, so I will say, like, what if we did this? Yeah. And then it suddenly opens up like the potential for like, oh, we never thought about it that way. That like you're borrowing an idea from that industry yeah. and applying it to this industry. Wow, that's refreshing. That's so, right. Um, now let's talk about your uh, your time at UBC. Uh, so how did that come about? Oh, great question. Uh, that came about that when I moved back to Vancouver from California, I just wanted to start uh, connecting with people. And I reconnected with a, a, a professor uh, that was still at UBC that had taught me years before. And he said, oh, yeah, come out for lunch. So I went out for lunch. And as we were sitting there, he said, 
hey, you know what? Why why don't you consider teaching a course here at the Sauter School? Because he he knew that I had some experience doing some guest lecturing uh, at the University of California in both uh, UCLA and also UC Santa Barbara that I had uh, guest lectured or I taught a couple of courses. And so he said, I said, what course is it? And he goes, customer experience. And he said, your background from Disney would be like ideal. So he said, I'm going to give you all the course material and you can like keep, modify, do whatever you want with it. And, uh, and so uh, that's how I got started. Uh, I started teaching a whole service management customer experience course at, at UBC and, and did that for like, like 12 years. That's, that's great. So uh, here I want to ask you, um, you know, typically in our modern education system, they, they always recommend, you know, you focus on one thing, uh, just, just be, as you said, like, you know, just, just be uh, the best at, at one thing, but they are also um, encourage people to just, just stick to one industry or one uh, topic or whatever. So did you find um, your worldview at contrast with the young minds that you were interacting with? The, uh, uh, I actually found it was quite refreshing in the classroom because uh, I taught at the, uh, at the graduate level. Uh -huh. So the MBA students that I taught, they were already working. Oh. And, and some of them were already, uh, they had come back either full-time or I also taught in the executive MBA program too, which were people that were earning their MBAs at nighttime or on the weekend. And they would bring their own work experiences into the classroom as well too, to help further illustrate or reinforce different concepts that I was talking about. But the, what I always found that was interesting with the students is they, uh, the students in recent years don't necessarily think about, okay, I'm just gonna work in like one particular industry. They look and see, well, I might be interested in working in different industries as well too. So nothing was really sort of incongruent. I, I was teaching students that some thought, you know, I'm gonna go work in telecom. I'm gonna work in telecom my entire life. But there were those that said, you know what? We see that it's possible. Hinton, you've just shown that it's possible to go from industry to industry with a core skill that it would be in demand in, in different industries. So different people have different viewpoints, but there was never sort of like any kind of like friction. That's great. That's great. So it's 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 awesome to see you know that that uh, point of view changing. I have people opening up to you know these this uh, this um, this kind of flexibility, um, and I think uh, obviously you had uh, you had an influence on them. So that 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 was awesome. Let's take a quick break for an important message from the bootstrapping your dreams community. Get the support and insights you need for your business and life. Join our community, which is fueled by the same people who advise the world's top leaders and champions. Stay ahead of the curve. Join us now by navigating to bootstrapping.group. Now let's talk about Vansity. And I know, you know, I've, I'm a I'm a member of Credit Union. And uh, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a unique organization, and uh, you know, I have I obviously I've been doing banking with various banks and. Uh, the experience at Vansity is uh, very different. It, it feels like um, uh, you know more of a family atmosphere than uh, a transactional uh, nature of of banking. So, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Like, how did that come about? Uh, you know, how did um, that culture uh, originate in, in at Vansity? So it actually like originated like many many years ago, and hasn't even it hasn't changed since day one. It was a group of people that got together and said, let's create a financial services organization to help people 
that basically the big financial institutions aren't helping. Mm -hmm. And so that, that fundamental um, belief and purpose continues to this day where Van City looks at its, and we don't actually call them customers. We call them members. Like mm -hmm. Anuj, as you know, you're a member. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're here to basically help you. It's not about in search of profits. It's actually in search of helping our members and communities to thrive and prosper. So we truly are a purpose-driven organization. So we take, certainly we make money. So we take the money that we make, but it's in service of helping our members and their communities to grow and, and, and or thrive and prosper over, over time. And we, we don't focus on just financial well-being. We focus on social well-being. We focus on environmental well-being as well, too, because for us, we put our members uh, at the center of everything we do. And it, to us, it's, it's all about people and planet. You know, we, we are here to, to make a difference. So that's what I think differentiates Van City from other financial institutions, is that certainly we have the community focus, but we are truly driven by purpose. That's uh, that's something um, I will say very unique, and uh, I don't even know whether people uh, think that is even possible because uh, you know most commercial organizations they uh, they focus on the bottom line and and things like community development and all that. It it sort of is looked upon as a as a cost center. So uh, how how were you able to achieve like you know a, a well functioning organization uh, happy uh, members and producing profit and all that. How did that come about? That's fascinating. Well, it, it, the answer is it's doable. Like a lot, a lot of organizations don't think that that's doable. That purpose is really the purpose is to generate profit. Mm -hmm. No, like we look and say, no, profits are the outcome of pursuing a noble purpose here. Mm -hmm. And so. Uh, it's nothing I invented. It's just it's, it's something that Van City and other organizations do it as well too, where they look and say, "What is the purpose?" So when you know when people are thinking about the organizations they currently work in or the companies they currently work in, it's like, "What is the purpose? What difference are we trying to make here in the the lives of our our customers?" And uh, and, and so it, it's not difficult when you're focused on that. You 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 generate more members. So Van City's membership grows every year. So the more people that we bring in, then ultimately the more profit that we generate that we can apply to create impact. Exactly. So it, it, it works, it, it works. Yeah. And if all the other financial institutions did the same thing, then we would all be helping to change the world yeah, much you're faster. Right. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, there are many other organizations which function like this, but particularly in the financial sector, it's like, you know, it's all about money. But uh, it's 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 a unique organization, Van City, for sure. And I want to I want to ask you uh, because uh, you know in the in our previous conversation you mentioned something which was again very surprising to me. Some of the actions that you took during the pandemic to you know to uh, to give some relief or or help uh, your members out. So can you tell us a little bit sure. about that? Uh, so during uh, like the as COVID nineteen started to overtake the world. Um, we looked and said, how can we help our members? Like, so out there, you saw a bunch of TV commercials and advertising companies are saying, you know, we're here for you. And you think, okay, an automotive company, 
they're here for like or we're in this together yeah advanced city we said okay that's already a given we're here to help our members yeah. now let's come up with solutions because we have to help our members navigate this pandemic and just being a like a shoulder to 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 turn to but just saying we're here to help let's show them so we like we waive fees we deferred loans and we we were the first and the only uh financial institution that said you know credit card interest rates were pretty high they're like you know 18 19 percent like others were kind of taking it down to like 11 percent. we said let's take it to zero mm. that's like unheard of we took it to zero because we felt during this time in need our members could use that yeah like to help them because many have to make ends meet and paying your credit card interest rate is a drain. And so let's just stop that. Yeah. But, that's the, but that's because Man City is driven by what's the right thing to do? Uh -huh. The right thing to do is to help our members. And what has driven that thinking of Man City is that back in the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, the financial institutions were all hurting. What helped them in addition to government what helped them was consumers. Consumers are helping the big banks by like taking out loans and like getting the big banks or financial institutions back on their feet. So consumers were there for the financial institutions back during the financial crisis. This time around, it's the other way around. So it's now our turn as financial institutions to be helping the consumers who helped us back during the financial crisis. That's just, that's our mindset at Man City. That's that's huge. Like I've never ever heard of uh, any financial institution even thinking about uh, taking their credit card interest rate to zero. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, so getting on that, like you know, we have a lot of uh, entrepreneurs uh, in the audience and a lot of people start uh, you know looking to start their own businesses. How will you recommend they think about you know adopting this kind of uh, thinking about uh, you know rather than focusing on the bottom line? How can they incorporate uh this this uh, this sentiment of service and helping other their customer base or client base well it begins with uh the purpose so what is the purpose as an organization that you like as an entrepreneur that you like where are you going to make a difference mm -hmm. and so as entrepreneurs think think through they they, they really need to think through uh not just okay how much money can we make here but are we going to make a difference in the world by doing blank, whatever they choose to? And when they think about it from the customer perspective, it drives a different set of actions, a different set of decisions that ultimately become more sustainable over the long term. Uh -huh. So begin with purpose. That's like so. Um, uh, once again, you know, I, I'll I'll go a little bit deeper into this because uh, the more entrepreneurs I talk to, uh, the more uh, this this notion of the purpose is to make money comes up, uh, you know, uh, because this, 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 this notion of uh, business is only uh, meant to make more money is prevalent in society and it's, it's, uh, it's resonating more and more. So especially right now when uh, things are chaotic, you know, we have never faced uh, a crisis like this and uh, we don't even know like what is going to happen in the next uh, few months, few years. Um, so uh, are you saying that uh, 
you know, focusing on purpose actually works out better, uh, even economically in the long run? Yes, it does. And right now, during COVID-19, I, I would also recommend focus on your customers, because right now, customers are also not in, 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 a, uh, in a good situation as well, too. But if you're there to serve your customers and help them navigate the pandemic, when we get to the other side, your customers are going to remember that. You're going to remember the solutions that you provided to help them out. And what that leads to is like increased satisfaction. And what that leads to is actually word of mouth. Word of mouth is one of the most powerful tools out there to generate growth for any organization. So for those companies that are like in business right now, uh, work at taking care of your customers. That's great. And so now let's, uh, you know, you are uh, just such a senior uh, uh, marketing professional. So I'd uh, love to dive a little bit deeper into your mind and see, okay, how do we understand our customer? How do we, uh, you know, figure out what sure. is going to help them? Uh, because that's another area, like, you know, even if somebody is, uh, an entrepreneur is ready to go that extra mile, they get stuck on the next step. Okay, you know, how do I even do this? What are the mechanics of this? So can you share some thoughts around that? Sure. I, to me, it begins with uh, like research and insights. You got to understand your customers. And by understanding your customers, it actually is understanding like their needs and their aspirations. And, I, and, I, and when I say aspirations, it's like, what do they really want? Because there's a difference between needs and wants. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you really peel it back to understand those dimensions of your customer base, then you can be more successful and also differentiated long-term. So here's an example. Um, uh, like customers might say, let's say you're in the travel industry. Uh, customers may say, I need a vacation. So they're telling you the need right now. So you can look and say, okay, we can help them create um, uh, uh, vacations. Like we'll offer vacation packages to go here, there and all that kind of stuff. So that's understanding their, their need. Their basic need is, I need a vacation. But then if you peel it back and say, what do they really want? You know, further research will reveal more the emotional benefits that are being sought here. Yeah. So yeah, you need a vacation. Okay, that's very functional, very rational. But emotionally, what do they want? So they may say, okay, you know, I want to have time with my family. I want to like relax. I need to de-stress. So all those things are really important to like understand. So then you can fine tune your offer. But it's, and that's the critical part is going beyond the rational or the functional needs to the emotional needs. And so, for example, when you think about vacations, like the, the, the ultimate that many might get to in their research is I need a vacation. I want memories. Like, like that's different. Like there's a vacation and there's memories. And so then organizations can look at it and say, okay, how do we, how do we now help when they take that vacation to like create those memories for them? And, and that would fare most companies very well if they start thinking through needs and wants. But if you're a company like the Walt Disney Company, where I had the good fortune of working at and learning, Disney will take it even further reason why Disney is considered like the best experiential uh, marketing organization in the world is because they go even further than that. They, they don't stop at just, okay, 
People need a vacation. They want memories. Busy will keep peeling it back and they truly get to it where it's, I need a vacation. I want memories. And in Disney's case, it's, I want memories to last a lifetime. Uh-huh. You see that extra piece that I just put on the end there? Yeah. That suddenly just makes it, like, wow. It's not just memories. It's memories to last a lifetime. So when you, to apply that to like your own businesses, for the listeners, is think about the needs. Dive in deep to think about what do they truly want. But when you think you have it, just keep pushing it. Mm-hmm. Because eventually you'll figure out what your equivalent of memories to last a lifetime is going to be. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Awesome. It seems like, uh, you know, you really need to um, get in touch with your human side, the empathetic side to be able to understand that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, like many companies, don't, like they stop short of that. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, customers are human. Yeah. Human beings have emotions. So you can't appeal just to the head. You have to appeal to the heart as well, too. That's right. That's great. So um, uh, taking it what's one step further now, um, you have worked with startups, you have worked with, uh, you know, uh, uh, new ventures, and you have also worked with mature companies with, uh, you know, large budgets and whatnot. So um, how, what is the contrast between the marketing approach, uh, as you outlined it, between, the, between a younger company who, whose budget may be smaller and a more mature company who, who can spend more? On, on this well, so, so the difference, you kind of like answered it right there. The difference is the resources. Uh-huh. So the difference between like a large company and like a small startup is the, the resources, both human resources and financial resources as well too. So in a large company, you're going to get people with like, working a bunch of different functions. In a small company, you're going to wear a lot of different hats yourself to like make things happen. And then from a budget standpoint, you get like millions of dollars available to you in a large company. In a small company, you may have like either zero or a very small amount. So the key is, is, is when you move, if you're like moving into a small company, is finding that balance. A lot of times people that work in small companies come from big companies. Uh-huh. And a lot of times they don't succeed because they try to overlay the big company onto the small company. But it's finding that balance. Finding the balance of bringing in like some of the structure that you enjoyed at a large company because smaller companies as they go through their life cycle there's got to be a time along that life cycle when they got to put in some processes and structure otherwise it's just going to be too chaotic but it's finding that balance between putting in that structure but maintaining the entrepreneurial uh, like drive that got the company to where it is uh, so it's finding that right balance and that's what I, I, I look for when I when I did go into entrepreneurial ventures it's just not coming in and saying, okay, I did this at like this big company and we're going to do that here. Yeah. So no, no, just take the best of, apply it, but don't extinguish the entrepreneurial flame that exists in the small company. That's great advice. Um, and also uh, now, you know, you are, uh, you are seeing from a different vantage point what is happening uh, around the globe, uh, especially in Canada. Uh, what are your... Uh, what is your outlook on how things are going to unfold in the next uh, year or so? Uh, are things, I mean, from the economic point of view, not, I mean, obviously we have a public health crisis, but it has a huge impact on the economic um, climate as well. So, so what are your uh, views on this? Uh, I, the world's going to be different. That's my view. 
So when we when we get out of this, or as we are starting to get out of it in Canada, um, the world's going to be different. And here's how I see the world looking different, Manoj, is that um, we've got to get the economy going again. And to get the economy going again, to me, it starts local, mm-hmm. like all the local businesses, getting them um, reopened again. So like, like Event City, we're helping to get them reopened. But as consumers, we can help to get them reopened as well, too, by being customers and, and, and patronizing these small businesses. Because as we help to get those small businesses going again, then they will grow and prosper. And then ultimately, it drives further development in the economy where like, then more jobs get create, recreated again. So I think, I think from an economic standpoint, it begins with the local economy. A lot of people will now be looking at the world differently as well, too. And it's already started where people are thinking, you know, I should really be patronizing the businesses within my neighborhood. And and I don't have to necessarily go to those companies where they're they're importing things from overseas. If stuff's getting manufactured locally, that's good. And, And we're doing good for the environment as well, too. That's true. That's true. So, so are, um, are you uh, of the opinion that um, maybe globalization uh, may take a, a little bit of a step back here? Uh, I don't know if it's exactly a step back, but it will evolve. Okay. And uh, big global companies, they're not going out of business, mm-hmm. but they're going to evolve and say, okay, how can we adapt to more localization of efforts? I think that's what's going to happen. That's great. And so um, I, I fully understand, uh, you know, how you described it, that we need to patronize uh, the local businesses. But now uh, with with rising unemployment, you know, people uh, people's incomes getting affected in a negative uh, way, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about things like universal basic income and things like that. Do you see any of that happening um, in Canada or elsewhere? It's a great, to me, it's a, it's a really interesting concept. And I remember even like in the United States during the Democratic uh, um, uh, primaries, the uh, one of the candidates, Andrew Yang, was thinking universal income for like everybody. And I, I, see, I see benefits to that. that like, like, especially now that we're in this pandemic, uh, I don't know all the details, but certainly worth exploring to see if that has, uh, has uh, the potential to get the economy uh, going again. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, in, in Canada that we had CERB and uh, in, in US, uh, there was a similar program. It is sort of like similar to a universal income, isn't it? Like, you know, the government. It is. Because yeah. people are getting, like, like students, yeah. students that didn't have a summer job. They are now getting this income yeah. that's coming their way because of the jobs that they couldn't go to for their summer jobs. Mm-hmm. Same thing for people that are wor- like working for organizations working for organizations because they're currently out of a job, uh, the, the government is saying, okay, well, we're going to give you something. Like, like keep you going. So you're right. Like it, it is already kind of like universal income that's happening right now. The question is, how long, how long can that last? And now we're hearing that, okay, it's going to have to stop at a certain point in time because of the cost. But are there creative ways of looking at it that it doesn't have to stop? And how do you balance that? Because then people are arguing that like, if you go to universal income, and there are people that are going to say, you know, I'm just going to, that's good enough for me. And <laughs> they're not going to work. Yeah. So it's, 
we got to get a bunch of smart people together to figure that one out. That's for sure. Uh, and I'm sure you'll you'll have a, a, a lot of influence in, in those kind of decisions. Um, and City will probably play a part. Yes. Yeah, for sure. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Uh, you know, this has been a very interesting conversation. Uh, now, before I let you go, can you help us, uh, like, if somebody wants to connect uh, with you, how should they go about doing that? Well, if they, if they want to connect with me, they can always send me, LinkedIn is usually what I pay the most attention to. So if they want to like connect with me through LinkedIn, happy to do so. Uh, I get a lot of requests to connect on LinkedIn. So uh, my request is just cite that uh, like you listen to the podcast, the Bootstrapping Your Dreams podcast, and you'd like to connect, then I'll make sure that we, uh, we get ourselves connected. Thank you so much for that vote of confidence. Uh, well, uh, once again, thank you so much. And I look forward to having uh, more conversations with you. Me too. Thanks a lot, Manoj. That's all for now. Until next time. If you want to realize your full potential, I invite you to join our community. We support and help each other out because no one has to do it alone. Join us today by navigating to bootstrapping.group. The community is free to join. No strings attached except for one have to take action. So if you are an action taker, we want to talk to you. Join us by navigating to bootstrapping.group. If you want more insightful interviews with industry leaders, then check out these other videos we have picked for you right here and subscribe now to get our new content.